Welcome back to Midweek Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve here. I am thrilled to continue our study of 1 Samuel. I mean, last week was quite a story, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, the Lord and his chosen leader, David, defeated the Philistine, lower G, gods, and their leader, Goliath. Why? So that the whole world would know that Israel's God is the one true living God. And this week, as the story continues, we're going to see a family feud over David. Saul, the father, is murderously jealous and angry toward David. But Saul's son, Jonathan, and his daughter, Michal, and the people of Israel and Judah love David. So while tr Saul tries to kill David, others preserve his life. And of course, the true hero, as always, is the Lord, who repeatedly protects his chosen servant, David. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. It all starts with a father and son who are nothing alike. And that's the first point in your notes, if you're using the notes I sent out. A father and son who are nothing alike. Due to nature and nurture, it often happens that children resemble their parents. Uh, like parent, like child. He's a chip off the old block. She's the spitting image of her mom. The acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. They're cut from the same cloth. But we know from our Bibles and from experience that sometimes parents and children are polar opposites, as with Saul and Jonathan here. Again, if we remember the backstory of chapter 14, we've already seen that Jonathan displays faith where Saul displays foolishness. And the same pattern holds true here in chapter 18. You know the story. David's just returned with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And in David's brief post-battle conversation with Saul, apparently Jonathan is present because as soon as David finished speaking to Saul, his dad, Jonathan's soul was knit together to David's soul, and Jonathan loved him. They were knit together in a special, deep way at a, at a soul level. In fact, Jonathan loved David so much that he initiated a covenant with David, giving him his royal robe, his armor, and his weapons. You see, rather than seeing David as a rival or as a threat to Jonathan's own presumed future kingship, Jonathan seems to perceive that David is God's chosen leader. So Jonathan, the crown prince, mind you, he is willing to be the lesser. And he graciously follows God's plan in supporting David right from the start. We're also told that Saul sent David out on military ventures where David enjoyed great success. All the people of Israel and Saul's inner circle were, were really happy with this arrangement. So it's all sunny in Israel, right? But then a dark cloud appears. We learn that as the Israelite army returned from defeating Goliath and the Philistines, the Israelite women celebrated with dancing and tambourines and a victory song about how Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. While everyone else is rejoicing, Saul is envious, right? He's angry. He's, he's fixated on this comparison and he's worried that David is going to usurp his place, right? What, what more can he have but the kingdom now? 
And we know from the backstory in chapter 16, verse 14, that as a consequence of his repeated disobedience, the Spirit of the Lord, capital S, Spirit of the Lord, had departed from Saul, and a harmful, lowercase s, Spirit from the Lord had come upon Saul. And that's what happens here in verse 10. Though David attempts to pacify Saul with some soothing music, as Saul just continues to stew in his anger and envy and suspicion, it boils over and Saul hurls his spear at David in an attempt to pin him to the wall. In fact, we're told that David had to evade attempted murder twice. Then in verses 12 to 15, we read twice that the Lord was with David, which is why David had great success. And it's also why Saul feared David. Though all Israel and Judah loved David, their military leader. So the big picture is this. Jonathan faithfully loves and supports David, but Saul insecurely envies David and repeatedly tries to kill him. Father and son are nothing alike. And father and daughter are divided too, which is our second point. We see this in verses 17 to 30. First, Saul tries to, to cut a devious deal with David. You see, on the surface, Saul offers David his oldest daughter, Merib, as a, for a wife, in exchange for David continuing as Saul's military leader. But underneath it all, really, Saul was thinking, hey, the odds are going to catch up with David, right? And eventually he's going to meet his death in some future battle with the Philistines. So Saul is suggesting a wedding, but he's hoping for a funeral. And not only is Saul devious here, he's faithless here, right? Think about it. Remember in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David? But knowing the Lord was with David, Saul still thought that the Philistines could kill him. Saul had more faith in the Philistines than he did in the Lord who was with David, and Saul knew it. Saul failed to realize that since the Lord was with David, the Philistines couldn't touch him. Well, the first ploy of Saul falls apart with David's humble reply to Saul and, and the oldest daughter marrying someone else. But another of Saul's daughters, Michal, loved David, which Saul pounces on to try his same trick a second time. Using additional persuasion from his servants this time, Saul hoped to cement the family relationship with David via marriage and kind of lock David into his military role, which again Saul hoped would lead to his death. Again, on the surface, he was planning a wedding. Underneath it, he was hoping for a funeral. Well, David could not afford the usual bride price for a king's daughter, so Saul asks him to kill a hundred Philistines instead. Again, Saul's true intent here was that the Philistines would kill David in the combat. And David and his men actually doubled Saul's request, killing 200 Philistines and bringing him the physical proof. So David married Saul's daughter Michal, and again we're told that father and daughter are nothing alike. Michal loved David, 
But Saul became increasingly afraid of David and was David's enemy continually, not just sporadically. From this point forward, he's his enemy continually. Why? Because Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, like his son, loved David. Three times in this chapter, verses 12, 14, and 28, we read that the Lord was with David. But not just David, right? What a comfort for us to know that one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's people can confidently say, if God is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That brings us to chapter 19, which we'll explore under three headings. Jonathan sides with David, Michal sides with David, and the Holy Spirit sides with David. You notice in chapter 19, verse 1, that there is no more hoping that David dies in battle with the Philistines on Saul's part. Instead, Saul gives a direct order to kill David. He gives this order to his son and to all of his servants, his inner circle of attendants, that they should kill David. He's a marked man. But Jonathan delighted much in David, and so he warned David about Saul's intent to kill him, and he appealed to Saul to treat David justly, not to sinfully kill him without cause. And, amazingly, it worked. <laughs> Saul swore not to kill David, and Jonathan was able to bring about a temporary reconciliation. So I think there's a lot to learn from Jonathan's example. Right? He self-sacrificially defends an innocent friend rather than seeking gain from the situation. Remember, if David had been taken out, it would have been a smooth path to the throne for Jonathan as crown prince. But he remains true to his covenant, even when it pits him against his powerful and volatile dad. And you remember, back to chapter 14, his dad had been ready to kill Jonathan over eating a little honey. <laughs> he didn't want to get on the wrong side of this guy. And Jonathan thirdly gives God the glory, right? He says that through David, the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. He gives God the glory. And fourthly, Jonathan was a peacemaker who restored an estranged relationship, at least temporarily. He was able to bring David to Saul to be in his presence as he had been before. But it was just temporary. <laughs> Uh, when there was war again, David once more went out and defeated the Philistines in battle, and apparently that stirred up Saul's festering jealousy. A harmful spirit from God comes upon Saul, who once again attempts to spear David, right? Uh, he's breaking his oath, notice from verse 6. Remember what he had said? As long as the Lord lives, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And now he's trying to put him to death. David flees home. He, he's never going to return to Saul's court again. But Saul's men are, are watching David's house. They're kind of casing the joint with Saul planning to kill David the very next morning. Again, breaking his oath that as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Well, ironically, David struck down the Philistines who fled from him. But Saul tried to strike down David, forcing him to flee. 
Thankfully, David's wife, Mikal, sizes up the situation and she warns him to leave immediately, this night, get out of here. And she helps David escape by letting him down through the window. Uh, she buys him some extra time uh, by claiming David is sick and she backs up that ruse of a story uh, with a homemade dummy in the bed and some hair up on the pillow. And, and Saul responds, hey, listen, if he's sick, bring him to me in the bed so that I can kill him. Let's just have the whole thing and I'll just do him in in his sick bed. And that's when the messengers realize they've been fooled. Right? When questioned, Mikael lies. She claims David threatened her life. That's why you know, she let him go without squealing on him. Saul's enemy, notice David is now called Saul's enemy, interestingly, is again preserved by Saul's own family. Jonathan has sided with David, Michal has sided with David, and the spirit will also side with David. Where did David flee to? It's to Samuel at Ramah. In fact, they stayed together at Naoth, which was a section or camp of Ramah, we believe. But Saul is still intent on killing David. See, in Saul's mind, just the fact that he's off with Samuel, the, the, the prophet and priest, is no sanctuary for David. But in fact, it is a sanctuary in the Lord's presence, as we'll see. Because when Saul sends one wave, another wave, three waves of men to, to capture David there, uh, God's Spirit comes upon them, causing them to prophesy, uh, perhaps uttering words of prayer and praise. We don't know the content of their prophesying, but we know that God's power, which up until now has been working through people, such as Jonathan and Michal, is now directly put on center stage. God's Spirit even comes upon Saul himself, who prophesies unrobed before Samuel day and night. Saul is humbled then before God, as his clothes, like his throne, is rightly being stripped away from him. Clearly, God sides with David, right? By redirecting Saul and his men from their mission to murder David to actually prophesying in the power of the Spirit. Brings me to three closing observations. Number one, at times, God uses human instruments. Jonathan's good words, David's elusiveness, Michal's deception. But at other times, God directly delivers his people, as he does here with the Spirit of God at the end of the story. Secondly, Saul's schemes were helpless in the face of God's plans. Saul could not successfully oppose God's anointed David the man after God's own heart. And thirdly, God will protect us to accomplish his purposes for us. Right? In this one chapter, chapter 19, God delivers David four times from Saul's kill order at the beginning, from Saul's spear a couple of times, from Saul's men at the house, and then from Saul and his men there in Ramah. As George Whitfield reportedly said, Christians are immortal until our work on earth is done. We may not be David, but like David, we can be confident that until whatever God has ordained for us to be or to do, he will keep us.
As Psalm 31.15 says, My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand, O Lord. It's comforting. Let's pray. Father, just as David's times were in your hand, so also our times are in your hand. We praise you for preserving your anointed to accomplish your purposes and for preserving us to accomplish your will in our lives as well. Thank you that just as you were with David, so you are with us, your people today. Through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray. Amen.